With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Focused on the facts. The Aussie Cossack. On today's News Talk Radio, TNT. One of my favorite uh, topics of discussion is anything which uh, gets the government uh, hot around the collar and makes the government agencies, the prime minister, uh, the heads of the security branches, makes them uncomfortable. And one thing that certainly makes them uncomfortable is when we have conversations in the area of information which the government wants to hide from you. There's been a lot of that lately, and there's been now talk of an overhaul for government secrecy laws in the news. It seems there's a bit of sympathy. I'm sensing a bit of sympathy uh, in the media and the mainstream media and the government uh, to the excessive uh, laws when it comes to secrecy and the absence of any type of protection for whistleblowers who breach secrecy laws for lawful or public interest reasons. And that sounds like a bit of a uh, doesn't make sense scenario. How can you do something illegally which is lawful? Well, because the the ends uh, justifies the means. And I certainly know about that myself, having been given a 10-month sentence for the breach of a non-publication order, dropping one name, uh, one man who we all consider a hero is Major McBride, a fellow TNT uh, co-host who's uh, joining me now tonight. Major, welcome to Saturday Night Live with Ozzy Kozak. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Kozak. Likewise, I always love being on your show. And, um, yeah, it's good to be back here again. And we've got a lot to talk about. Actually, just when you were doing a little intro, uh, quite a few little uh other pieces of news jumped into my head and we've got uh, quite a few things to discuss tonight which i think the uh, viewers will find very interesting absolutely and they're all really based around uh, the same central topic of uh, uh your role our role uh, your father's role uh, of being a person who can challenge the establishment and to call a spade a spade when the government's wrong, when something needs to be said, even though it may be an unpopular decision, it may be an untenable, an unviable, or even a dangerous or a self-inflicted uh, damage scenario, which uh, I know about, you know about, we all know about in that regard, we're colleagues. Uh, sometimes it's for the good, and sometimes you just got to do what you have to do and uh, worry about the consequences later. It matters what, what we're doing uh, for the community and your father, uh, was a person that would have uh, surely uh, loved to have seen this uh, day come where the Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese, has finally apologised to thalidomide victims in what's been called one of the darkest chapters in Australia's medical history. And and for those who don't know, uh, the thalidomide drug was issued to pregnant women in the 1950s and early 1960s uh, to supposedly treat a number of conditions, including morning sickness, insomnia, and anxiety. And after uh, decades of use, or nearly a decade of use, the drug was found to have caused miscarriages, early childhood deaths, and significant amounts of uh, birth defects in thousands and thousands of kids. And now, only in 2023, finally, has... Uh, an apology being issued. But uh, the Prime Minister in Parliament, 
uh, seizing uh, the moment to maybe gain some popularity, some lost ground. He's very unpopular in the polls. Looks like he's clutching his straws. And he's finally now, you know, after how many years, after 60 years, uh, the federal government issued an apology. Today, on behalf of the people of Australia, our government and this parliament, uh, a parliament offers a full, unreserved and overdue apology to all thalidomide survivors, their families, loved ones and carers. Well, he's apologising on behalf of the people. Well, how could he apologise on behalf of the people, David? How is it the people's fault? The people were against this. If you ask people like your father, they were campaigning against this back then. In those times, the government simply just did not listen to them. So although the apology is maybe uh, uh, needed and it's a good start, uh, apologising on behalf of the people of Australia, not sure how much the government can blame the people. When yeah, it was no. your, hmm. It's pretty funny, isn't it? Um, however, I, and it's a bit like a lot of things we see um, with governments in Australia, both major parties are guilty of it. But the idea, it's kind of one step forward, two steps back maybe, maybe two steps forward, one step back. But he, he did... He did make a kind of impassioned uh, apology about it, and he did say uh, he didn't beat around the bush to just say the government did not take this drug off the shelves for six months, um, which involved, and that's one of the things that made people very angry. The government, and there's no doubt it was uh, the the influence of big pharma, um, lobbyists, whatever, who didn't allow the, the government to take this drug off the shelf, even though uh, fears had been raised by people like my father who took it off the shelf of the hospital he worked in, said we're not going to use this. Um, and so there are people there at the apology who, um, it's fair to say, wouldn't have been affected by it had the government acted. So... It was good of Albanese to say the Australian government was wrong. Yes, you're right. It was ridiculous to say it's anything to do with the Australian people. Um, papers, perhaps, the, uh, but the, the government. And if, but, of course, the sort of backward step was um, it's very easy uh, for a present government to sort of... Uh, wax lyrical about things that happened 60 years ago and how terrible it was. Um, And yet um, we've seen only a few years ago where there were some very suspicious dealings with um, uh, Big Pharma and influence on government and lobbyists, and it makes Albanese's words a little bit empty to say, oh, my God, you know, imagine lobbyists and big pharma that affected government decisions 60 years ago. That would never happen today. You know, how terrible was that? <laughs> he probably had a meeting with uh, Merrill Dow or uh, one of these big companies scheduled in his diary the very next day. You know, lobbyists, the, the same, undoubtedly, I think you could say this, this very week when Albo's there making this uh, heartfelt apology about um thalidomide, uh, people in his government, if not him, would be receiving uh, lobbyist donations uh, from big pharmacy or or other uh, 
corporations who uh, have finally got their self-interest and not the interests of the people of Australia. <laughs> that would have been happening. He might have, for all we know, he might have gone straight from that apology to a to a lunch with a lobbyist uh, to do something which is pretty much the same today. And so uh, we don't take his words seriously. It's certainly they are giving some money to the victim, so that is good. But as, as we all know, it's not Albo's money. It's not Mark Butler's money. Uh, at the end of the day, it's your money and my money. And while I don't begrudge it going to the with my people at all, um, I do begrudge Albo sort of trying to pretend that it was coming out of his pocket. Oh, yes. <laughs> because one thing, it is certainly not coming from his pocket. And um, and if he needed to get more money for the government because they couldn't balance the thing, don't worry, he'll tax us. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, he, he's made an apology on from the Australian people for something the Australian people were not responsible for. And in his apology, he left out one very important factor, one thing which he should have mentioned, uh, but he, of course, purposefully left out. There's no doubt that he would have known and his staffers would have known and those people that... Uh, wrote the text for the apology that is read out in Parliament today. They would have known of the story uh, of Australian obstetrician William McBride, who in 1961 warned in a letter, an open letter, that he observed multiple severe abnormalities in babies delivered from women who had taken the drug thalidomide during pregnancy. And this was the first of any uh, professional medical uh, uh, advice that was available to the public, uh, William McBride being a pioneer, and of course that's your father, William McBride, your uh, uh, his son, and you followed in his footsteps because he was hailed as a national hero in Australia and a glow of honour hovered over him for the following three decades. He had a thriving practice in Sydney. He received the CBE in 1969 and the Order of Australia in 1977 uh, for his efforts. He was recognised uh, by the government of the time in the late 70s. And it's a bloody disgrace that Albanese uh, thought it appropriate to sidestep uh, William McBride, the man who brought this to the attention of Australia, the whistleblower of his days, uh, potentially saving tens of thousands of children from death, uh, birth defects, and severe abnormalities in the very real sense. And look, it would have been appropriate if Albanese had have mentioned him today, which is why uh, we're going to mention him, and I'm, I'd like to mention him. I'd like to also uh, confirm uh, the opinion of my fellow uh, TNT radio host, Dean uh, Macken, uh, that uh, you have followed yourself in your father's footsteps as a hero. Uh, maybe that's where you've got that uh, uh, streak of uh, defiance and uh, truth-seeking from. I'm sure it's an inherited quality. And maybe that can be uh, used at sentencing, perhaps uh, in the beginning of next year. You can say, Your Honour, well, it's uh, not just uh, David. It wasn't just an impulsive reaction. It's in his blood. He cannot stand by to see injustices. He's actually inherited this quality from his hero father. And uh, William McBride, your father, uh, uh, was then attacked, of course, by the establishment medical circles by the big pharma circles and the established uh, uh, medical tribunals. Uh, and that's uh, unfortunate uh, that they turn against uh, those who break ranks. And I think 
David, in many senses, uh, uh, you share similarities to your father in in experiencing also backlash and experiencing uh, persecution. Uh, although people uh, know that you're right, they knew that your father was right. Some people in the establishment, in those roles and those positions that they've uh, comfortably assumed, they cannot uh, accept you know, the uh, dishonor to their brand, to their uh, faculties, to their uh, organizations, to their office, uh, that someone has uh, pulled the rug from under their feet, proved them wrong, and has exposed a major shortcoming. Uh, so well, it's uh, very important to uh, make a note of your father today and dedicate, uh, I'd like to dedicate uh, this moment of apology uh, to him, in fact. Uh, something that Albanese should have done, but uh, visibly uh, did not. And that, of course, would have put Albanese in a very precarious uh, position, bringing more light to your plight uh, and our listeners and reminding them that uh, David McBride, who joins me now, is facing potential life imprisonment, awaiting sentencing at the beginning of next year for three counts of breaching uh, uh, government secrecy orders concerning uh, the exposing of alleged Australian defence war crimes. Does your father uh, give you strength? Uh, to carry this uh, burden, to carry this cross, David? Yeah, look, I think he does. And uh, it was a bit of a turning point for me. I was pretty tired last week. Um, just whatever you're doing, a bit like a sort of sporting match or whatever it is, you you come to the end. And um, I don't know whether we won the grand final or lost the grand final, but um, you're just tired afterwards. And... Uh, I was down there being interviewed in Canberra on the day or the day after the national apology by um, a uh, a reporter from uh, Channel Ten, uh, to their credit, and they uh, they they turned my mood around. They said, "What do you what do you think? Your father'd be pretty happy with you now." In fact, Dean Macklin made exactly the same point on TMT, and I'm very grateful to him because, as I said, I was relatively tired and didn't really think about it. But he said, "Your father would have to be pretty happy with you." Um, and uh, it did make me laugh because I didn't really, I didn't really think of that. And like all fathers and sons, you have, um, you know, it's hard to make a father happy. And, and likewise, you always uh, think your father could have done better in certain things. And, and I had to almost put a, I did put a smile on my face to think, well, <laughs> he'd be pretty happy. He could not, he could not be pretty happy. And, and I was able to also uh, see him in, in a certain amount of a, uh, a nice kind of admiration. Well, I've always admired him, but it, at a deeper level of admiration to what he went through. Um, and so, yeah, that's it, it is nice. And uh, I don't think um, we would both say, say the same things, even though it effectively works out the same, in that we, we just did our jobs. You know, I don't I mean, here I mean, his job... Um, he was always interested in medical uh, science and he always, I guess, in some ways he wanted to, um, he was, his imagination was already always captured by the sort of famous scientist guy called Howard Florey who helped in the development of penicillin before the Second World War. He was an Australian as well that went to Oxford and um, helped made a, made a big difference to the 
whole world where these penicillin work. Um, and Dad grew up as a little boy wanting uh, to be like that. And so he um, he was always interested, in part, not only being a doctor, but the science of uh, medicine. And, and when he saw he had patients who, who, who were uh, severely affected by this um, uh, this drum, this supposedly harmless. In fact, I put it in my book. The uh, the advertising blurb for for uh, thalidomide or distaval, as it was called, the brand name, said something like, um, "Distaval can be taken with complete safety by mother and baby." <laughs> you know, typical advertising. It was at it, it was a hundred percent. Away from the truth, it, it, it could not be taken. Uh, it was, it, you know, it, it, the devastation it caused on a fetus was, um, you know, beyond anything anyone ever seen uh, before or since. In, in fact, this week I heard of someone um, whose mother uh, took the drug. Now she was very um, uh, didn't like medication, didn't ever want her to take any drugs. And, and, and she, so she didn't take, she had a prescription for it, but she decided not to take a full thalidomide pill. Um, she cut it in half with a knife on, on the kitchen table and she had half once. She had half a tablet once. Um, and her, uh, her son was born, uh, um, with a, you know, a very small arm, a sort of a hand coming out of his shoulder, basically. That was half a tablet once. So this this is, is strong. And, but the advertising said, you know, perfectly safe. <laughs> that, a bit like another drug, they hadn't done any safety testing on it at all. Um, and uh, so Dad felt it was his job, really, his duty, if you like. But even if it's just a job, he was a doctor. He saw um, these patients being born without arms and legs. Uh, or the children of the patients, um, some of them died uh, because they were so badly um, formed. And he started to plot on a map to see, he thought maybe it's radioactive um, uh, stuff. And then he tried to work out, um, uh, uh, he tried to work out what, what they all had in common. And he was helped by, apparently, by a midwife who, who helped him um, to say that they do have They've all taken this drug. Um, but it was him because he was the first medical person to actually look into the properties of the drug, uh, look at some other papers. Other people, other doctors had said it does cause nerve damage in older patients. And he put two and two together to say it was he's causing nerve damage in the fetus, and, and that was stopping the arms and legs growing or other da things as well. Da David, so when you're describing these terrible... Uh uh effects of uh these big pharma attempt to really poison uh, so many thousands of people in this country you know my mind uh, is turning over and thinking well how similar is this to what's been happening in the last four years in this country and how long will it be uh, until the prime minister of australia is standing in parliament just as he was three days ago apologizing to the victims of the 1960s to the victims of uh, today and uh, the Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca uh, situation where there's plenty of people who are 
suffering, uh, injuries and death. But let's continue the conversation because we'll jump to the qu- a quick break now and be right back on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal. Uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. Sometimes life can be overwhelming and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, Make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong. Some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, Use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Accountability and retribution is what uh, many of us want and require from our government when it comes to their shortcomings, maybe uh, voluntary, but perhaps intentional, some people would allege, uh, shortcomings uh, relating to the rollout of medications throughout the last few decades. Of course, it benefits Big Pharma immensely. Uh, just before the break, uh, my fellow TNT uh, host, uh, Major David McBride, uh, was d- telling us about the horrific injuries that people sustained. Now, it wasn't until uh, a report in the Lancet Medical Journal, which of course was written by your father, that this was revealed. And the process uh, in the end took, what, rough 50 years, 50 years. That's how long it took for the government to finally announce uh, until, it wasn't until 2019 that they started offering a financial uh, compensation scheme with now survivors receiving up to 500,000 Australian dollars as a one-off payment, followed by annual payments of uh, up to $60,000 a year, or that's more than $1,000 a week. What are the prospects, uh, David, looking at this uh, process, a very long process of which your father was instrumental in being the key whistleblower in 1961? It took 50 years. Uh, what are the prospects for something similar and hopefully a little bit faster in terms of time frame to occur uh, for the Australians, the millions of Australians who have been affected uh, by the government's forced rollout, 
the coerced rollout, the mandated uh, rollout of uh, the COVID-19 vaccines, AstraZeneca, Moderna, Pfizer. There are a lot of similarities, aren't there, in the approach? A lot of similarities in the way that uh, people who are speaking out against uh, the vaccine, the vaccine injuries were victimised. And your father, uh, William McBride, is a shining example of why, uh, firstly, we should speak up, that that those who have been speaking up have been doing the right thing. And he's, in a way, he's the uh, uh, original whistleblower when it comes to Big Pharma. And it's a good example. And I wish that uh, people know about his example and his heroism uh, in bringing this to, to the attention of the government and the world, most importantly, the mothers who then were able to avoid taking this terrible drug uh, which ultimately end up killing and injuring their babies, uh, thalidomide. What are our prospects, David, for something similar? You know, you've got all the, uh, you've got the genetics, you've got the uh, background. You're already a very known whistleblower on defence. Uh, do you see, do you see the government apologising in the same way it's done for uh, thalidomide uh, in the short term or long term future? For the current vaccine, it may be. No, it's a good question. It may be my next crusade. Um, it's certainly a worthy one, and I think uh, so much depends upon it. Uh, as you know, and your viewers, this will come as no surprise. But uh, if we don't, I think we're at the world is at a tipping point. Uh, if, if we don't right this wrong now and there isn't some sort of a beginnings it may take 50 years to get a full apology um but if if we allow the governments to snuff out dissent and uh totally uh rubbish destroy jail anybody who even starts that process off and even tries to say um these injuries were caused uh by uh, this product which was forced upon people by the government, um, which was backed up by um, falsified information, which was uh, backed up by a coercive regime where people lost their jobs and couldn't work and and also an all smiles um, blanket approval on all the mainstream. And it was the beginnings, well, I don't know if I say the beginnings, but for me, um, and I and I had the vaccine. My family had the vaccine, but I could see it was the beginnings of a, a dystopian world when uh, all the major TV stations were putting out sort of thinly veiled propaganda that anybody who didn't have the vaccine was somehow some sort of less than human plant from another planet who was here to destroy us. Um, and while you might at the very least uh, um, uh, tolerate them, um, you, they weren't to be encouraged and they were, they were to be crushed whenever possible. Now, and that was all based on uh, big uh, uh, corporations, profits, um, government wanting to control people to a certain extent. I think that that was good, not wanting the situation to lose control national security agencies with too much power thinking that oh we better um use this situation to uh they probably have plans for it in asia and to say um 
this could become a uh, civil unrest. Therefore, we have to uh, use certain procedures, tell certain lies in order to make sure target we don't target certain ringleaders. Target certain ringleaders, um, and I guess it's what I say. The tipping point is: Will you and I um, be crushed and forgotten? And therefore, we do end up in quite a dystopian world in fifty years' time. Or will you and I, and it and all our viewers, obviously supporters, actually fight back um, a rearguard action when we're stuck in the corner, and so that in fifty years' time, the world at least is able to uh, admit mistakes and to say, um, yes. Um, uh, you know, that was a bad error in human civilization, and we need to say, sorry, uh, we got a bit carried away there. We thought the world was going to end or uh, for various reasons. I guess that's the best way they could put it. Chicken little. Uh, we panicked a little bit. Uh, I don't know whether we're ever going to get a full admission, a bit like Alba. Um, but, yeah, I think it. I don't think it overstates it to say we need to fight uh, the free speech, the independent thinker battle as hard as we can now because there may be apologies for such things in the future. There may not be. The way things are going, um, and um, one, of the, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was this sort of uh, national security monitor, a guy called Grant Donaldson who put out a report this week, and he talked about three cases um, Bernard Caleri's case, um, uh, the, the ASIO or the ASIS, the former uh, intelligence service spy, um, who they just call K, the letter K, and the former intelligence service spy who they just called J, the letter J. And J was imprisoned uh, in a secret trial, totally secret trial under an assumed name, and he was put in prison, and the prison officers didn't even know uh, that he wasn't who the prison official said. You know, it was really, it was really dystopian stuff. And his crime wasn't, you know, selling state secrets or anything like that. It was actually a pretty minor crime. Like his his total sentence, and it doesn't look like he even tried to defend himself very well. His total sentence in prison was fifteen months. So that gives you the sort of idea that it wasn't really the crime of the century. But they managed to. Um, Close the court down and a judge played along. Uh, we've got so many yes men in this country, nobody questioned it. And this independent national security monitor said that was wrong. That was clearly un Australian. And the security services have got away with too much, uh, pretending that they're experts. They were purely out to punish this guy, as they were with my case, because they didn't like him. They reckon the ear. He annoyed them, he embarrassed them maybe, and it was a petty thing like the schoolyard bully that you and I would have seen um, in school uh, who just can't handle having their power checked. And so they wanted to put this guy in jail and not just put him in jail but make it kind of humiliating for him in a uh, in a secret way when he didn't have he didn't even have the ability to sort of say, I was justified. I've been, I've worked hard for my country, and I believe I wasn't treated fairly. He wasn't allowed to put any of that. He didn't even. He wasn't allowed to even say his real name. 
uh, and he was jailed. I mean, at least I can go to jail with my head held up high. Some people hate me, some people like me, um, but I don't have to go to jail pretending I'm my name is XYZ uh, and um, not allowed to say what I did. It just makes some, and these people are not, we have some illusions that they're sort of the great James Bonds of the world. And these people like are like um, uh, Mike Pizzullo and um, and uh, that they are not a particular, that will, no, they have never served their country. They have never gone out on the front line um, and taken a, a possibility of being blown up or shot or, ta- or or gone away from Canberra and suffered the real privations that people in the Defence Force have to do. Right. They haven't they, they even been to Western Sydney, I would doubt. They've <laughs> <laughs> never that, visited Cabramatta the, the, or, or the closest thing they've got Kemper. to a Middle East conflict is a fight over a Lebanese bill, a bill in a Lebanese restaurant in, uh, yeah, central Canberra. And you're that's gonna. about <laughs> as far as they've got, splitting the bill, yeah. And yet these goons uh, make decisions about putting people in jail, uh, let alone buying, you know, 400 billion dollar submarines, uh, and they really aren't that smart and, and they certainly don't know that much about um doing the right thing by Australia. And at least this um, national security monitor said, we need to stop. We need to start stopping the overreach of, I mean, you're probably classified as a national security threat as well. I am, Um, I am. (laughs) It's called NSI, National Security Interest. And I discovered that uh, when I entered the uh, New South Wales Corrective's custody, that they gave me this classification it was called EHR NSI, which is Extreme High Risk National Security Interest oh, Inmate. Extreme High. <laughs> yeah. That so shows yeah. you. And they got away with it. That shows you what keystone cops they are. Well, well look look at this, right? I'm I'm there, uh, you know, first time in jail. And uh, looking at the other prisoners, they see me walking down the corridor. Everyone's wearing green. I'm in an orange jumpsuit with my hands shackled to a belt around my chest and my legs are shackled, you know, like, like it's some, I don't know, b- back in the 15th century or something, some, you know, barbaric, barbaric. And I wasn't even allowed to be on the same prison truck with normal prisoners. They put me in a bulletproof Land Cruiser with an escort, right? Inside the bulletproof Land Cruiser was a bulletproof box and the Land Cruiser had to go above the speed limit and, you know, do all these dangerous maneuvers. And I said, well, why are you driving like so crazy? And they said, oh, that's our security. It was all about giving me the therapy, right? My offence was not a national security interest offence. It was a breach of a suppression order, naming an alleged sex offender, revealing his name. Simple as that. Many would consider that a public service. Anyway, uh, that case is actually before the courts and uh, I really look forward to uh, that case being done and dusted and that person found guilty uh, of multiple, multiple offences, historical crimes over the last 30, 40 years because then it's going to be quite embarrassing for the government and the police. Uh, Just like you mentioned a few minutes earlier, uh, it doesn't matter if uh, you you don't appeal to the flavour of the day or the justice system of the day or the media of the day, when you took the conscious decision to either make a breach 
of the publication order in in whatever motive you had or in your instance is a far higher far higher level it's the breach of uh, uh secrecy orders commonwealth secrecy orders and it doesn't matter that may be an unpopular decision and you might have to uh cop some time in jail or be put through the courts and so forth but it matters what people are going to say in 10 20 30 40 years time and i can be certain that once this case where i named a perpetrator once that case is over and people will see the suppression orders are lifted and they see what actually went on they're going to be quite shocked right and i can say in your instance david when that case is over the way you revealed those details to abc journalists and blew that story and uh, the more people find out about uh, that case which is still shrouded in secrecy isn't it it's still they're covering it all up once yeah. the details emerge once the archives are opened once the suppression orders are lifted the non-publication orders are lifted those people that don't think my brides are here right now you just wait till 10 20 30 years just like your father in 1961 he wrote that article you know by the 70s the medical boards were turning on him and they were trying to discredit him somehow right but who cares because mm. they were just defending their own interests just like the establishment then turned on you uh, but there is good news I'm glad we're talking about this because uh this the major changes to Australia's oppressive of national secrecy laws are coming up uh but let's uh go to a quick break and uh we'll get back to this story Mark Dreyfus considering recommendations to actually change the National Security Information Act very interesting topic stay tuned don't go away back after this break on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. As a meteorologist, I look for common threads in the weather. And common threads are absolutely essential when looking at the climate situation. Because you see, it's not really about climate. Let's take a common thread between Al Gore, Dr. Michael Mann, and our infamous climate ambassador, John Kerry. Al Gore, first of all, his father voted against the civil rights movement. Secondly, Al Gore was a state senator in Tennessee. Guess what's in Tennessee? A state park and a giant monument to the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. How come he didn't see that over there? What about Dr. Michael Mann? saying that climate deniers, and I suppose I'm one of them over there, are a threat to children and grandchildren. Very interesting since he supports policies that have reportedly ended the life of 60 million kids before they came out of the womb, three quarters of them people of color. And then of course, there's John Kerry. That's the man who supposedly threw his medals over the fence at the White House and yet we see him show up at these meetings with all his medals, right? What kind of hypocrisy is that? This is a man who wants us to start in the face of record-breaking food production, somehow or the other, get rid of the agriculture so that we can cut CO2 emissions. You see the common thread between all these people? They're all hypocrites. They all follow the same kind of thing that they do with climates. They're sanctimonious know-nothings, and that's exactly what this is about. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. You ever heard of a polyp? Sounds like a rare species of toad. Actually, it's a lump that grows inside me, your bowel. Look, I'm pretty sure if you had a strange lump growing on your forehead, you might get it looked at, right? But when they're growing inside me, nothing, nada. 
and the polyps I get can lead to Australia's second deadliest cancer. So, until there's a way to make them grow on your face, it's up to you to get me looked at. Got it? Telling, Telling it as it is, the Ozzy Cossack on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Now, the oppression and the secrecy, the suppression orders, the non-publication orders uh, around the Australian government's activities, the courts, the uh, military, the intelligence agencies, the police, that has become the norm in this country over the last few years, uh, could be over soon. An explosive uh, story coming to light uh, today or all over the mainstream media. Now, major changes have been now recommended to be made to Australia's National Security Information Act. The Independent National Security Legislation Monitor, Grant Donaldson, described parts of the act as overreach, and Attorney General Mark Dreyfus said the federal government will now consider the report's recommendations. In layman's terms, this is simply the end of the Paluzzo uh, era, the Paluzzo influence that has been in place uh, since around about 2017, and it's under uh, Paluzzo that all of these uh, very harsh and strict surveillance and strict secrecy laws really changing, turning Australia from a democracy into a, a dystopian nightmare dictatorship. And Paluzzo is the bloke who was overseeing all of this during COVID, uh, and the agencies now are having finally hitting back. Uh, joining me now, uh, David McBride, uh, a person who is uh, going to be keeping a very close eye on this. David, when I was uh, looking through this information today, uh, I couldn't help but think that perhaps there is light at the end of the tunnel and perhaps uh, it's good timing that there's going to be an overhaul of the uh, Security Information Act, uh, which included uh, several high-profile cases, including the prosecutions of uh, Witness J, Witness K, and Canberra lawyer Bernard Collery, which incidentally is also your lawyer representing you in your case uh, in the Supreme Court in Canberra. Uh, he's a brilliant lawyer, uh, as is Mark Davies. Uh, Bernard Collery, apologies, is, is he representing you, is the question? No, so he did. He, he did he, once. Uh, we're very good friends, and he's a terrific person, uh, terrific life history, life history. I really admire him, and he's done a lot for me. So I've got a huge... Huge, great. I owe him a huge debt, but he's not actually uh, my lawyer. In not, not currently a lawyer. Mark Davies is. Well, Mark yeah. Davies is a colleague of Bernard, and I suppose you're a colleague because you've been charged with the similar offences that he was charged with. But Bernard Collery was actually able to beat the Commonwealth. He beat the Crown. He was charged, and he actually had his day in court and won. It gives a bit of hope to uh, your sentencing camera, even though you have pled guilty to, uh, I think it's three counts of... Uh, uh, breaching a secret information. Uh, however, I think there's uh, some light in the tunnel. Uh, there are 40 recommendations to made to demystify the use of the Act, in particular around enhancing open justice through appealing provisions that require certain matters to be held in closed court hearings. We're talking exactly about suppression orders here. Uh, you probably heard about that outrageous story uh, going around about the in inspector of uh, police, the chief inspector who was involved in a drink driving accident and he, he used a suppression order to hide his identity i don't know how the police commissioner and how the courts are doing this right if it was anyone else out there if it was uh the average joe blow you know they'd put him through the courts they would put him on the stand they would embarrassing that the 
Daily Telegraph, the Daily Mail, and all the agent media agencies would do a hit piece on him. But look how they cover themselves up. Look how the elites cover themselves up. They use these suppression orders. They use the secrecy laws to advantage themselves. And when you need to use them, right, for a legitimate reason or unuse them, for example, in your instance, in your case, David, when you asked the court to consider evidence in your trial, uh, they said, no, you can't use that. They effectively limited you. They stopped you from having a fair day in court and you uh, had no choice, had no option but to plead guilty because you were relying yeah. on that information. How does it make yeah. you feel look, looking at these, you know, these, these bastards using to their advantage, their personal advantage, uh, the law and the secrecy around suppression and non-publication orders? Yeah, it, it is bad. The situation in this country is bad. I try not to um, talk about it in, in too negative way, but I mean, there isn't any way around it. I mean, and it won't surprise your viewers, our viewers, uh, to know that Mark Dreyfus smiles and uh, sometimes he even says the right thing. But the idea that Mark Dreyfus will uh, actually do something um, which goes against the security services uh, and takes back some of their power to crush people like me is, is frankly laughable. He may as well be an ASIO agent. He has never done anything meaningful to help anybody uh, like myself standing up. He, he, his own lawyers get this. Mark Dreyfus's own QC, of course, who you pay for, who I even paid for, which is an absolute embarrassment, who all the viewers pay for, a guy called Andrew Berger. He comes into the courtroom on behalf of Mark Dreyfus and he says, nobody can see what's in those files. And um, they don't have to prove why. Uh, some of the reasons they did, well, they did give, re they have to sort of give a vague reason as to why, but that's, they don't have to prove it. They just have to say, oh, well, because a country I can't name might not like this. And uh, that's about, and the judge goes, okay. The Americans. Yeah. But even if, even if it was the, uh, even if it was the sort of Egyptians, the judge would still go, <coughs> Okay, there isn't um, uh, the judge. I, I, okay, I'm going to be careful. I haven't been sentenced, but it. it um, well, I'll, I'll stop you there to to to, to stop you from saying something that you shouldn't. <laughs> and I apologize in advance if I'm putting you in a difficult situation by exploring but it's aspects just, of the case. We can stick to Dreyfus to say that he is not when he says he's looking at it. I can't help but feel sick. But to say that in two years' time or however long it takes him to look at it, he'll come back and he will do nothing. Or he, if anything, he might they might just change the name. This is how sinister they've become. They might just change the names and <clears throat> make them stronger. He's got no interest in answering uh, to Grant Donaldson. Um, and I can say that with... Uh, certainty because the guy has done nothing in, in, to change the laws in relation to public interest disclosure. He has done nothing to stop um, 
uh, documents being held, withheld from the judge, withheld from the public, and the most spurious reasons. I, I don't think um, Mark Dreyfus has ever actually stood up to the security services. Um, apparently, even when he did try to get uh, Bernard Caleri's charges dropped, um, the only reason that they actually got dropped was because uh, of politics, because of um, East Timor were thinking of doing a deal with the Chinese and they said as much. They said Bernard Clare is a hero. We don't like Australia anymore. We're going to talk to the Chinese about oil deals or whatever. And then Australia panicked and said, OK, we'll drop. Remember with Bernard Clare's charges, he was never, he did never received an apology. He never received compensation. They ruined his practice. Uh, they could have easily killed him. Um, he's a resilient man. His father was a hero too. His father was one of the uh, Battle of Britain pilots, which is pretty impressive. Very impressive. Um, and um, so he's made a pretty stern stuff. Uh, but it could have easily killed him. It just about killed uh, the man they call Witness K. And he's a spy, former spy. He's a pretty tough guy. And the only reason he pled guilty was because I don't think he even got a pension. They were so... This is the sort of people that work for our security agencies. They were so uh, despicable and cowardly because this guy um, said something that, that they didn't like or did something that they didn't like. Even before he was convicted, they took away his pension. I think they wouldn't allow him to travel. The guy was 70 years old. And they kind of crushed him um, in, a, in a kind of despicable way where he had no choice but to plead guilty. He was, I think he was really at the end of his tether. Now, that's our security services at work. And all this, and, and everybody knows, this is one of the embarrassing things for the, the major media, everybody knows at the heart of that uh, case was people like Alexander Downer um, and various other creepy individuals who bugged the East Timorese office. And I say it's creepy because he, he said, Oh, East Timor, East Timor don't know what we've done for them. In the same sort of week that we were actually trying to steal from them, steal their information, they said, I stole information. Alexander Downer certainly stole information from East Timor. Um, and Downer was like pretending, oh, we're so good to East Timor, but we stole information from East Timor so we could get a commercial advantage, and our spies did it. Now, everybody knows that's what happened. And yet Bernard Caleri, uh, he didn't, they didn't continue with the charges after they'd spent about four million bucks of taxpayer money, but they never apologised. And he should get an apology. He should get some sort of a medal. He should get money um, uh, for the, the, the pain and suffering. And, 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 and so, and Kay, witness Kay, he should be pardoned. He was convicted. And I don't think he didn't go to jail, but he got a suspended sentence. And for someone who spent a lifetime working for this country, it is makes a difference to them. They don't want to have a criminal conviction on the record. And it would clear the air for him and his family, for the government. If Albo or Dreyfus was any kind of man that he pretends to be, he would pardon um, Witness K. Um, and that would put his money where his mouth is. Can, can Albanese pardon someone? Does he have the power? 
Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Uh, especially in a case like this. Well, maybe, maybe we're on the, uh, we're onto something here because <laughs> there are some key recommendations, uh, uh, to reform the overreach. Although you've said that uh, you have, don't have much faith in, uh, their, um, uh, you know, noble aims. Uh, this could just be a way to repackage an even worse, uh, set of laws against the Australian people. But, uh, they've called for, well, Donaldson has called for new requirements to be placed on attorney generals to regularly review secret material to decide if it needed to remain suppressed or, or secret. And among the recommendations was ensure the rights of defendants were not overridden by national security concerns. This is exactly about you, uh, Major, including protecting communications between defendants and lawyers. But in particular, uh, the rights of defendants were not overridden by national security concerns. When they use the national security card and they say to you, you can't use this information to prove yourself not guilty because for whatever reason. So this is, I'm It affected hoping. us in all sorts of ways. I know Grant Donaldson's been great. I take my hat off to him, but I couldn't even prepare my case. I mean, I was, it's very hard fighting the whole uh, defence force effectively and fighting the Attorney General's department. They, they, they pretend that they didn't take sides in my case, but that is laughable. They wanted to put me in jail. The Attorney General, that is opposed to the, the Commonwealth prosecutor, who obviously also wanted to put me in jail. The Attorney Generals were absolutely there to make things hard for me. And they'd say, oh, we don't take sides. But what they would do is they wouldn't let um, uh, the judge or the jury see information that was helpful to me and prove my case. But then when it came to sentencing me or when, or when it came to information which may have helped the prosecution case, oh, then they suddenly said, oh, well, that's not, you can see that, you can see that. Um, uh, they are a pretty creepy lot. And guess who they work for? They work for the Attorney General. Now, there's various different departments within the Attorney General's department. But I say this to you, if you work for that, uh, the, the Attorney General's department and you are there suppressing information, which is clearly uh, a way to get people like me in jail, you are a bit of a disgrace to this country. You need to stand up and say they knew the information because they've all got law degrees, um, they knew that the information that, that in my case was not actually damaging to Australia. They knew that it was being used in order to make it more likely for me to be convicted. It's pretty, it's getting pretty odious. And guess who they work for? They work for the Attorney General's Department. <laughs> That's what they call themselves. And so the idea that the Attorney General, whether it's Mark Dreyfus or whoever works in his name, is going to suddenly be a little bit better with the national security is laughable. You know, you may as well be asking uh, convicted criminals um, to, to do better without some sort of a, um, without people like me, frankly, or, or Bernard Caleri or other whistleblowers, we will never make the Attorney General act in a lawful way without some sort of a stick, without some, without some uh, way of, uh, Calling their um, calling their actions, they're not going to do it play nicely just because they're told to. They don't have any reason to follow Grand Donalds. All they care about is politics. And if they are told by the security services, put this guy in jail, make it hard. And we saw that in Caleri's case. I mean, Dreyfus said before he was even elected, or before the, his government was elected, I'm going to do something about Caleri's case. 
right, Albanese uh, said, I just finished this, Albanese said before he was elected, um, I think Assange has gone on for too long. Now, when they got elected, their tunes changed, and they didn't change as people, but they, 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 it became quite clear they don't get to make those decisions. They are told what decisions are going to happen, and they just meekly go along. The Attorney General does not run uh, the, the courts of this country anymore. Um, uh, we're, Major, we're, we're going to have to cut you off. We're going to get to the news now, but that was fantastic. We're going to continue this conversation another time. Uh, stay tuned. Thank you, Major McBride. Uh, over to the news, and we'll be back after that with more. <laughs>